What's up, everyone? Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Copon. It's February 11, 2022, and this is Lift and Learn, episode 74. In this episode, I'll be talking about how long it takes for you to increase your metabolism through exercise, and then I'll talk a bit about if salt is really bad for you. Is sodium really as evil as they say? Before that, though, I'll talk a bit about what I've been up to lately, and that might include fitness-related topics, and it might not. If you want to follow me, your host, on Instagram, it's isaiah.copon, and you can also check out my website, isaiahcopon.com. The podcast is on Instagram, at liftandlearnpodcast, on Twitter, at liftandlearnpod, and also on Facebook. You can just search Lift and Learn Podcast. With that being said, let's get into it. Welcome back to another episode. Let's kick things off with the gym progress as usual. The gym is basically where I spend half my life now, so I'm back to regular training this week. And it's still been tough training, man. Getting my body back in the groove again, it's definitely going to take a bit longer than I thought, but that's okay. This week, everything was starting to slowly feel normal again. My body has still been getting super sore, even though my training is more on the lower side of things right now in terms of workout volume per workout, and even scaling it out to how it is every week. So I've been keeping reps over 8 on all of my movements. I got back to hitting calves this week. Spring is right around the corner, and I actually want to wear shorts this summer. So I gotta really grow my legs. Huge focus on them right now. So a little insight to my training right now. For squats, I've been keeping it light at 185 pounds, but trust me when I say you can make that difficult. I've been doing that weight for 10 reps this week and keeping constant tension during my whole set. So no stopping at the top, a controlled negative, so spending two or three seconds going down during the squat then exploding out from the bottom. But man, doing that without resting at the top, that actually gets brutal. I actually hate them right now, I'm not going to lie, but that's what it's going to take to grow them. I'm going to keep that up until this phase of my training is over, stepping out of my comfort zone a bit with that one. This week, I also finally got my diet much more in check this week. So with the gyms being closed for pretty much all of January, I actually ended up losing 8 pounds over that time frame. That could have been due to a bunch of factors. My workouts weren't great and sporadic, so all over the place. I don't have challenging weights at home, so I'm sure I lost a bit of muscle too. And since the gyms were closed, my appetite just wasn't there. So I couldn't have my usual 3,000 calories or more because my body really didn't feel like it wanted to eat more. Plus, if I ate all of those calories without working out and barely moving because it is still winter, that probably would have meant some fat gain, which again, that's fine. But I ended up eating closer to 2,200 calories for a few weeks there and probably even less than that at times. But like I said, this week my diet has been back on point. I bumped up my calories a tiny bit to help with my recovery from 
being constantly sore from the gym. And now that I'm back to working out much more consistently, I'm not at 3,000 calories right now, but I'm consistently eating similar calories every day, probably around 2,500 if I had to guess. That might put me in a bit of a surplus, which is the goal, but my weigh-in is on Monday, so we'll see how that goes. I feel like I'm in a good spot right now, though. So the weight on most of my exercises aren't anything impressive, but for some reason I felt really good on my overhead press this week. I wasn't even planning on hitting it this day, but with the gyms now freshly open, there's still a 50% capacity limit, so I was working at a gym in Mississauga, and my client was stuck in the lobby because the gym was too full, so there was a lineup to get in, which is ridiculous. Hopefully the capacity limit is increased back to 100% on the 21st of this month, but we'll see. But because of the capacity limit, I was able to hit a quick little 45-minute workout there. And that was the workout where I tested out my OHP again. It was supposed to be a rest day that day, but I mean, what else am I supposed to do? So yeah, I went to do some OHP, and like I said, I felt really good, so I ended up trying out a plate on each side, so 135 pounds, and I actually hit that for a few reps, so that's a really good sign that I do actually still have some sort of strength, regardless of what weight I'm using for bench and squats and deads right now. Like I said, though, I've been taking it easy. I know now that my current training session isn't going to be my last. I plan on working out all of my body parts another 100 times this year, uh, if you really think about the bigger picture. There's always going to be time to increase the weights, and right now, getting back into it after a little break, that's not the time to start repping out weight that's too heavy for you. Anyways, let's talk about sports for just a few minutes here before I dive into the two topics for this, uh, for this episode. There were some huge NBA deals this week since the trade deadline just passed yesterday, Thursday. The first big deal was CJ McCollum going to the New Orleans Pelicans, which that's going to be weird to see, but he already played in his first game with his new team. That was a big name, and then later that day, there was a huge deal with Indiana and Sacramento. Sacramento basically got DeMontis Sabonis, and he's a pretty good big man, but the Pacers ended up getting Buddy Heald and someone who people thought was untouchable. I mean, I even heard Sacramento themselves were saying he was untouchable because he's one of those young guys in the league. Really good player. His career three-point percentage is just over 40%, and I have him on my fantasy team. And he's been really good this year. This is only his second year in the NBA, actually, and I had him last year as well. So I've been following pretty, uh, I've been following him pretty closely. That's Tyrese Halliburton. I don't know, man. I think Sacramento messed up with that trade, man. I don't think it was worth it to lose my boy Tyrese. The biggest trade, though, that just happened: James Harden has left the Brooklyn Nets, and he's been traded to the 76ers for Ben Simmons. Seth Curry and Andre Drummond. There were other players and other draft picks involved, but uh, those are the main players involved in this. That was a huge deal, and now Philadelphia actually looks pretty scary with Harden and Embiid on the same team. They actually could dominate. On the other hand, Simmons going to the Nets. I'm not sure how that'll work. Uh, I'm not sure how that'll work out or if he'll even play. I guess we'll see where that goes. 
There was also uh, Kristaps Porzingis. He got traded to the Washington Wizards in exchange for uh, Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans, who's now going to Dallas. Merp. Don't really care about that one. And then Derek White was traded to the Celtics for Josh Richardson and some other things. I don't know. Uh, That one I had to mention because I have Derek White on one of my fantasy teams, so that one affects me a bit. The Raptors, the home team, also traded away Goran Dragic, who said before the season that he didn't even want to play for the team, so he hasn't even played a game this season anyway. We traded him to the San Antonio Spurs for Thaddeus Young. I don't think he'll be useful, but I guess we'll see. There were some other trades that went on, but I think I mentioned the actual big ones there. And the Lakers, just a shit show overall, so there's no need to talk about them. That Westbrook trade from last offseason is looking like one of the worst trades. (laughs) I don't think they'll be able to turn it around this year, but if they could make it to the playoffs, I still wouldn't bet against LeBron. They got a big hill to climb, though. I don't think they did anything at this year's trade deadline. Also, the Winter Olympics started earlier this week, I think. I'd usually be watching the men's hockey games, but they have no L- uh, they have no NHLers in it this year, so I'm not even sure if I'll be watching unless Canada makes it to the medal rounds or something. I haven't been paying attention to the games at all, but there was some chaos around the speed skating stuff where people were getting disqualified and some skaters were like tripping other skaters. Some of those videos are pretty crazy if you want to check that out on YouTube. I don't know what's going on over there. The Olympics are just corrupt at this point. Question 1. How long does building the metabolism take? I've talked about this before, how exercising and building muscle actually increases how much your resting metabolism will increase because of the added calories you'll be burning due to muscle tissue just being much more active in your body than fat is. There's a few factors that come into play here when we're talking about increasing the metabolism. If you work out, that's going to burn calories, there's no doubt about that. But a workout where you're building muscle and strength, those are the workouts that'll build up and make your overall metabolism a little bit quicker. So you'll burn more calories at rest throughout the day. Like not doing anything, your body will just naturally be burning more. In our society these days, that's huge. With the way our food has been so easily accessible, it's always a good thing if you can increase how many calories your body is burning throughout the day because you only work out for an hour or two per day. So for the remaining 22 or 23 hours of the day, you want your body to be burning as much calories as possible because it's a lot easier to eat calories than to burn calories, whether that be through uh, any form of movement or exercise. And if you work out regularly, you'll be reaping those calorie-burning benefits almost all the time, which is where things get really interesting. You may have noticed this yourself. When you're working out consistently, it feels like you can really eat anything and it seems like you're not putting on any weight. Sometimes it gets to the point where you're not even tracking calories, but you just notice that your appetite is just so much higher than when you're just lounging around doing nothing. This is that effect taking place without you even really knowing what's going on. There's also the afterburn effect, EPOC. I've talked about this before, 
Your metabolism is basically ramped up after a workout because your body is going to spend more resources trying to recover your body to build that muscle up back stronger than it was before to deal with the heavier weights that you're introducing to your body. So when you're working out, your goal should be to build muscle. I don't mean getting super huge like those bodybuilders and building huge traps. I mean, unless you want to do that. I mean, just adding 5 to 10 pounds of muscle on your body could be a huge positive benefit to your health in terms of calories burned throughout the day, not to mention other benefits in other aspects of your life, like living, uh, living without constant aches and pains, increasing your mental health, living a more independent life, and lowering your chances of debilitating diseases that could come from being overweight or obese. Okay, so the question at hand here, how long will this all take? So increasing your resting metabolism a significant amount, this could actually take a while. At this point, it's really debatable how many extra calories a pound of muscle burns over a pound of fat. It could be anywhere between 5 to 50 calories, depending on where you're looking. But the number itself doesn't really matter. The bottom line is that building muscle, it does something rather than nothing. So it's not really that important to get tied down to the exact numbers because we might never be able to figure out exactly how many extra calories muscle actually burns. And that's fine because regardless of what the exact number you may think it is, it's going to be different for every single person. There are no absolutes when it comes to fitness and health, but we know that Working out leads to a more healthy life and an increased metabolism. That's all we really need to know. Like, the fitness industry is always so quick to say, oh, 3,500 calories is a pound of fat. Well, that's not exactly right. It's around that number, yes, but we just round out numbers just so it's easier to keep track of. It could be more for other people and it's less for some, But that's just an example of how getting too obsessed and hyper-focused about these numbers isn't something that you should be really worried about. So if we're going to compare working out to doing nothing, yeah, that's a positive change, of course. You're going to burn calories while working out versus sitting on the couch. It's not really debatable that working out and movement is going to burn more calories than not moving at all. So you get those calories burned from your workout. You get the afterburn effect, you're burning uh, extra calories up to 72 hours after your workout as your body recovers and builds muscle, and then you're burning a bit more calories even while resting because of the additional muscle you put on your body. There's a bunch of factors there, and that's really all that matters. You'll notice that as you get more and more experience in the gym, working out more and more, you're able to do more, you're building more muscle your body will be asking for more food and eventually you'll be getting to the point where you're really eating as much as you want and not really putting any weight on. Now, yeah, of course, you could get donuts and stuff yourself, but I'm talking about eating food that's actually nutritious and ones that will actually uh, will actually be beneficial for your body to use. So if you're looking to reap these benefits and want to know exactly how long it's going to take, I think it's much better to just enjoy this journey. It sounds super cliche, but getting yourself wrapped up around how much muscle you've gained and how much extra calories you're now burning, it's just unnecessary stress to add onto your life. So work out, build some muscle, feed your body, and after a few months, 
I think you'll be shocked at how much you're able to eat without putting on a significant amount of body fat. Just be consistent with your workouts and be patient with this whole process. It's not going to take a week for your metabolism to just magically shoot up 500 calories, but after a few months, you should notice that your body is just running like a machine. Question 2. Is salt really bad for you? Salt has been painted in a negative light for a while, especially when it comes to health concerns. If you go to your doctor, well, actually, even nowadays, most people know that having too much salt could lead to very serious and problematic health-related issues like heart attacks, high blood pressure, sometimes kidney problems, and strokes. A little history I actually learned from reading a book, <laughs> shockingly enough. I found this out from reading The Genius Life, so I dove a little deeper into this. The word salary actually comes from the Latin word sal, which means salt in English. Uh, they were compensated, the Romans, back in the day with salt because it was so valuable back then. They called salt white gold, and they used salt to actually preserve their food, mainly meat and fish. And they used it this way so that they wouldn't starve to death. And we actually do still use it for that purpose today. It's not just about the taste that salt gives our food. Nowadays, salt is everywhere in our foods. It's not that hard to find it anymore. To quickly answer this question, is salt bad for you? That depends. If you already have health issues, then yes, cutting back on salt could help relieve those issues. But if you're an otherwise healthy person, a good amount of salt is going to be okay. And people actually need a certain amount to function properly because it's important to get your salt or your sodium intake. It actually regulates healthy blood pressure. It's important for nerve and even muscle function. The thing is, too much could really be bad. And that's why highly and ultra-processed foods can be so dangerous. Companies load their products with sodium and... Like I said earlier, like the Romans did, companies use salt today and sodium to extend the shelf life of products. You'll find it everywhere, especially in the snack aisle. So if your diet consists of a bunch of highly processed foods, this is when salt and sodium intake could get dangerous. Going by the guidelines, they state that you should be getting at least 1.5 grams of sodium intake every day at the low end. But studies have shown that up to 3 to 5 grams is actually fine. But the thing is, with how our diets have evolved over the years, most Americans, according to what I googled earlier when I was writing some notes for this episode, most Americans are eating almost 10 grams of sodium every single day, nearly double what the studies say is acceptable every single day. Jesus. And yeah, that's when salt can, can lead to health problems. On the flip side, if your diet mainly consists of whole foods, it would be pretty hard to actually get to a point where you're having too much salt. If anything, you might have to actually add additional salt to your foods to stay in the optimal range, which, like I said, it's 3 to 5 grams per day if you're healthy. On top of that, if you're someone who regularly exercises, you can generally get away with a slightly higher salt intake than someone who just works, maybe has a sedentary job, and then just lays around all night. That's because if you're working out, a little bit of salt is important to actually restore electrolytes. Sodium can, uh, sodium can be useful for you, there you go, especially if you're active. 
you lose salt and sodium through sweating and it's important to get that back. And that's why those sports drinks are so good. I usually have some Gatorade in my bag just in case because uh, just in case I'm feeling low on energy. This might not be a huge deal if you're just working out for an hour or so. You won't sweat that much unless you're doing something crazy. Sodium is going to be more important if you're someone who trains for endurance, maybe training for a marathon or doing a long hike in the in summer or something like that. That's when it'll become even more important to have some kind of drinks with sodium in it. That'll be handy in those moments. Nobody is really in fear of being deficient in salt because it's everywhere. And unless you're actively looking to cut out all sodium, you should be getting a decent amount of it already. So if you're, uh, if you're one of those crazy over-the-top health nuts who might be on some no-salt or no-sodium diet, then that could lead to problems like hyponatremia. Some symptoms of that could be confusion, dizziness, lack of energy. Sometimes you'll get muscle weakness or spasms. But that's pretty rare these days from just lack of sodium alone, but it still happens to some people. So, alright, bottom line, just don't go overboard with the amount of salt you're having. If you're having whole foods mainly, you should be fine if you're just regularly salting your food. It's going to be hard to overdo it if you're someone who regularly cooks your own food. Highly processed foods, hyperpalatable foods are the real problem in today's world. Not just salt or just singling out one single mineral. If you're someone who might overindulge in highly processed foods or even takeout, then it would probably be wise to substitute some of that out for a healthier option. That's when salt and sodium could cause some trouble for you. So don't be afraid to use salt on your foods if your diet consists mainly of whole foods. Salt could actually make vegetables taste a lot better, so start salting them if you're having trouble getting them to taste good. That and olive oil would be great when it comes to making them taste good. And if you're really worried about your sodium intake, just try to limit the amount of highly processed foods that you have throughout the week. And that concludes episode 74 of the podcast. Thank you for listening. If you really enjoyed the episode or my podcast as a whole, then please leave a review and comment on iTunes or whatever your choice of podcast platform is. Also, if you haven't already, you should hit that subscribe button because I'll be releasing episodes every Friday. If you want to follow me, your host, I'm Isaiah.Copon on Instagram. And you can also check out my website, IsaiahCopon.com. If you want to follow the podcast, you can check out at Lift and Learn Podcast on Instagram. And there's also a Facebook page if you just search Lift and Learn Podcast.